the people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history of Here we are. Welcome back once again to a brand new episode of Sake on Air, the world's first podcast dedicated entirely to Japan's iconic beverages of sake and shochu. Uh, my name is Justin Potts, and I'm one of your regular hosts here on this show. And this week, we're joined by a pair of very special guests uh, who are spread across the globe at the moment, uh, normally both based in the UK. However, everybody is out floating across the globe at the moment, and I am joined this week by two fantastic folks from the Sparkling Sake Brewery in the UK, um, both the... Uh, Founder, CEO, and master brewer, or head brewer, uh, Mr. Naoki Toyota, as well as uh, the project and business advisor, Ms. Tracy Delaney. So welcome to the both of you. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Thank you very much. Excellent. So the sparkling sake brewery. So when I, you know, I, I, it's probably easiest if you both just, if one of you wanted to just really quickly just tell us what is this, what is the sparkling sake brewery? So the sparkling sake brewery is a brand dedicated exclusively to the production of a naturally sparkling sake based in the UK. Um, yeah, so we have uh, six members at the moment. So including Tracy and me. Yeah, so we make a small batch handcrafted natural sparkling sake here in the UK. Excellent. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, I even just there, there are a couple of keywords that I'm I'm really wanting to dig into. But before we get to that, I want to learn a little bit more about the both of you. Um so Naoki, why don't you you want to tell me real quick, how did you get involved in this? What was your path? to making uh, sparkling sake in the UK? Well, um, my passion for sparkling sake is all about impermanence. Mm. So by impermanence, I mean how nature always in flux. You know, so nature always changes and it doesn't last forever. It's like um, cherry blossom season uh, in Japan. So I was born in Japan, grew up in Kyoto, okay. surrounded by beautiful nature. Yeah. So, yeah, when I was a little boy, I was always curious about the way nature changes. So I used to look at the sky and uh, see the fleeting movement of a cloud and a changing weather patterns. And also would love to feel changes of the seasons. And I... Uh, First forward to 2017, I had the, my first baby and uh, my wife enrolled in a business school in London. So I chose to um, take a paternity leave, which is a bit unusual choice in a Japanese culture. Yeah, but actually, you, you don't hear about that too much. Uh, you're starting to hear, there's a few more cases these days, but it, it's not very common. Yes, <laughs> but uh, actually looking back, the decision might have been really um, about my curiosity 
sell, I mean, how I could mature um, by going beyond the culture and the value that have shaped my life until this point. And then I started cooking for my family. So making food was a huge pleasure because it's very creative and uh, it's it has superpower to give people smiling. Uh, yeah, it's wonderful. So, and then one day I tried to make Japanese sake at home. It's like, you know, home brewing. Then the sake I made was kase uh, nigori sake or, you know, cloudy sparkling sake, which is, you know, the same method as naturally sparkling wine or known as uh, pet nut in the wine world. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was, you know, fresh and lively, um, very tasty. Um, and also, I was amazed to find out how the rice, water, and the microorganisms change themselves and interact with each other to create the flavor and the texture as the end of a fermentation process. So, yeah, so through my curiosity of impermanence, which is always in my mind, and uh, my first uh, experience of brewing sake, so I ended up making naturally spoken sake. Okay, very cool. I want to I want to dig in a little bit more into then how you set out on that path and actually made that happen. But I'm gonna I want to jump over to Tracy uh, here as well, and because I'm also curious as to Tracy how you managed to get involved in this in this exciting endeavor. Yeah, so um, I mean, it's a little bit of a long story because my relationship with sake is sort of intertwined with my relationship with Japan, which goes back 30 years. Um, and so like, I first got to know Japan in 1989 through a culture and exchange program um, between New York City, where I grew up, and um, Tokyo Junior High Schools and went to Japan in 1990, fell in love with Japan and thought like, wow, I want to learn everything I can about Japan, the language, come back and live here. And so fast forward, I did a stint at Wasada University, worked in Japan for a few years and, you know, continued to work with the market even after I um, left Japan in my professional career in um, consulting and financial services. But people would often ask me, you know, what is a good sake to order? I'm going to Japan, I want to get sake. And I'd be like, <laughs> I don't know, like, I was a bit embarrassed because I didn't have an answer, even though I had an answer to most things about Japan. Um, but, you know, my story was a classic one, right? I sort of, you know, Japan in the like mid to late nineties, went to like a Nomi Hodai, had a raging hangover the next day and like waved it on the sake I drunk, right? And like at the time also when you went out and you're going for a nice meal, it was like, you know, California wines or new world wines, or like, if you're really feeling spendy, you get some French wines, but like sake really wasn't, sort of on the menu for like young people at the time and certainly not like when you were thinking about you know trendy or a, a you know high height um sort of like great night out um so then like in 2017 which obviously was a watershed year for both Nalki and I as it relates to sake I also was on maternity leave um and so I had a, a baby at the same time and I thought great I have some time off from work let me um 
do the SSI course. So I did the, the Sake um, Service Institute course with uh, Satomi uh, Dosto and Ali from Tengu Sake, who I think has been on your, yeah. your show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was like, I mean, I had tasted Dasai like somewhere like on a business trip, like in Japan, like in a couple of years before that. And I said, like, I think I'm missing a trick with sake, but like I didn't have time to dig into it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I did the SSI course and like Satomi and Ali are incredibly passionate, like incredible teachers. And I was so motivated and enlightened and in love with sake and the history and the stories and the culture and the service of it all. that I said, like, I've got to do something with sake. Um, so I, you know, was like thinking about ways that I could bring sake into my professional world and motherhood world. Um, and then Nalpi and I met um, through a, a common friend who was in the UK. He went back um, to Japan and then came back in Nalpi, I think it was November 2019. We had like a coffee in South Kensington. And he told me that he was back to start a sparkling sake brewery and asked if I, you know, would like to collaborate with him on it. And, you know, it was like immediately like, yes, this is an amazing opportunity um, for me to be able to bring like my desire to help promote sake, even in a small way that I can, like balancing everything else, um, but also like work on a new market entry into the, into the UK and bring together like two cultures I really love, like British and Japanese. So it's sort of my sake story and how I got involved um, with the brewery. And since then we've been collaborating together on trying to make this a great experience for consumers in the UK. Oh, that's amazing. And so, but, so you are based in the UK now. I'm speaking to you, you're in New York at the moment. You're from New York, but you are primarily in the UK. That's been home for some time now. Yeah. So like my, my home base um, for now is, is the UK. Okay. You know, as, as long as there's sake being made. In there. As long as there's sake being made. <laughs> <laughs> and then they keep the heat on. You know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's that. There's that as well. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, sake, I'm good. But uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm just here in New York visiting my parents uh, okay. this week. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Um, you know, Naoki, I want to jump back to you for a minute. Um, it's I, I love that having children brought both of you to sake at the same time. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> I, I think that that's, I think there's, I think there's a lesson to be, to be learned here. And that, is, you know, uh, that's, I mean, personally, that's actually, uh, uh, for me is all kind of personally really important. I find one of the biggest issues with, I don't want to say, sorry, issues isn't the right word. Um, challenges maybe with sake at least <laughs> I, I said i've been in japan for the last you know 15 years or so and pretty much every setting in which sake is enjoyed and appreciated children are in general completely removed from that scenario so they're you know they're completely in the dark as to exactly you know where something like sake sits you know culturally and socially, you know, and I, I'd like to think there's through more opportunities to have it as a part of just the family in a, in a responsible manner, obviously, but, you know, um, getting kids closer to, you know, the process, the magic, the, the science, the, all of that stuff. And then the dinner, the dining and, and all those things. I think there's in, in Japan particularly as well too, a chance to just integrate more with people of you know different age groups and see different as adults and be around different di dinner tables and have sake be a part of that i think there's the fact that that's been removed i feel like a lot 
you know, from from the from the scenario, or at least a lot of people's um, kind of day to day, you know, realities in Japan has been, I think, maybe one of the biggest reasons that maybe sake has sort of drifted a little bit or struggled a little bit. Like it's just it, there's no there's not there's nothing to to tie that that seam between the previous and the current generation, you know, in sake, it's kind of like, we've just been kind of been kind of cut off there as much as there's lots of education out there trying to get, you know, you know, different people interested and involved in sake, like it just doesn't, it doesn't live in a in a real space for most people for the first 20 plus years of their life, you know, well, anyway, that was my random rant, my random aside. So that makes me happy to know that you both have uh, happy homes um, with with children that um, sake is where sake is both produced and, and enjoyed responsibly. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, now, okay, I'm going to jump back to you here for just a moment because there's a big difference between brewing a batch of sake at home and then deciding to actually turn that into something that you are going to bottle and label and package and then put out into the world and and sell to somebody. And I'm sort of curious then what was, you know, you had this wonderful experience um, at home. How did you then make the transition from um, home brewing to actually a, a, a commercial operation? Yeah, so after I tried to make uh, my sake at home, so I, I, one day I went to um, Sushi Lesla in London, and uh, yeah, every single dish was so amazing, and uh, all guests' eyes lit up with the delight. Yeah. So, and and then what really excited to me and appealed to me that uh, the sushi chef uh, used Japanese rice and uh, fresh fish from the UK and the European countries to make their amazing sushi with traditional skills and techniques mastered in Japan. And then the light bulb moment was when I asked myself, do I want to be a sake blower to delight and surprise people all over the world, like the sushi chef in London? And then I said, yeah, let's go for it. And then after this, I decided to get into this industry. Of course, I need to um, learn how to make um Japanese sake or sparkling sake commercially. So I moved back to Japan um, to learn uh, the way of uh, the making um, Japanese sake. So luckily I met uh, uh, Mr. Kurose, uh, who is one of the uh, legendary sake brewers in Japan. So he produces a variety of handcrafted sake in Nara Prefecture, which is, you know, known as the birthplace of Japanese sake. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he told me everything he knows. And then, actually, uh, our uh, flagship product is uh, inspired by his natural sparkling sake. Amazing. Amazing, amazing. 
So that was how how did you end up um, meeting Mr. Kurose? Was that I mean, because you weren't involved in sake before, right? I mean, you had no connection really to the world of sake. Yeah, so yeah, when I was in Japan, I used to go to you know uh, izakaya <laughs> in Tokyo, and then the owner of the the restaurant I used to go um, introduce me uh, to the, Mr. Krose. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so yeah, I I I talked about my dream. Um, I said to the owner of the restaurant, so I, I want to uh, make sparkling sake in the UK, uh, so which is, you know, handcrafted, small batch, uh, natural sparkling sake. And then, yeah, he said that, okay, so I'm gonna connect uh, you with the Mr. Croce because Mr. Croce introduces, you know, very small, uh, limited batch uh, of, you know, uh, crafted sake in Nala. So you can learn a lot of things from him. Yeah. So it's very lucky. Yeah. Oh, very cool. At Nara, is, is Kurose-san, was that... It, um... Ma, Ma, Masuda Shuzo? Yeah, he okay. he used to work for Masuda Shuzo okay. uh, when I trained under him. But he now he works for uh, other brewer, Abulwali, but still in Nara prefecture. Okay, yeah. okay amazing. No, Masuda Shuzo is great and, and Nara is fantastic. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that area and a big fan of that area of sake. So that actually, that makes me happy to know you're, <laughs> you're out there. Fantastic. Now, what was that? What was that experience like? What was what was that time like for you? Well, so after I trained under Mr. Krose, I moved back to the UK in January 2020, so which was just before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So the, during a pandemic, yeah, the only thing I could do was just to go for it. So, so even during pandemic, yeah, I did. I have been, you know, product development, but during the time I uh, chat with Mr. Krose. Uh, so he, he, you know, uh, gave me a lot of advice to make uh, my prototype uh, in the UK. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. And so then you're, it's kind of pre-pandemic you're or or yes you I guess you're getting into the pandemic and so you've got a little bit more time at home and you're able to um kind of communicate with uh Kurose-san um as to how you're you're going to approach you know making uh sparkling sake um I imagine when you were in Japan you didn't make only sparkling sake you probably spent time making other types of sake as well um, when you were making other types of sake, as well as then looking at making sparkling sake, what were sort of the main considerations, I guess, or what was it that you were um, particularly um, cognizant of? Obviously, there's 
another there's additional or different processes involved when it comes to making sparkling sake but making a sake and then making it sparkle versus deciding from the beginning that you're going to make a sparkling sake do you approach your sake making differently no it's because for me sparkling sake is the way to express our philosophy yeah which is you know the beauty of nature's impermanence yeah so our product is intended to be enjoyed freshest Mm-hmm. Uh, to capture the fleeting moment of uh, nature. So it's like, you know, as I told Arya, it's like a cherry blossom seasons, only last two weeks. So that's the sense we want to deliver Yeah. Uh, through our craftsmanship and product. Yeah. yeah. Of course, as an Atrinka, I love other types of sake like steel sake or aged sake and so but the four as for um sake bluer yeah i am very curious about the sparkling sake so yeah. in order to pursue our philosophy the bubbles of our sparkling sake are created by natural fermentation in the bottle and also uh it's unpersonalized uh, after second fermentation. So that means the fermentation is still ongoing, you know? So the consumers, you know, can enjoy the fleeting moment of a, you know, beautiful fermentation world. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Would you mind explaining to our listeners a bit when you talk about it's, it's a natural fermentation and it's fermentation that's still happening in bottle, could you explain just simply sort of the process? How does that fermentation in bottle take place? What is What are you doing in order to make that happen from a production standpoint? Okay, so in general, there are two types of method to make sparkling sake. One is uh, gas-injected type. Mm-hmm. So... The carbon dioxide is injected into your steel socket to make it fizzy. Mm-hmm. Um, the other type is a natural sparkling sake. So the bubbles are created by natural fermentation. That means the natural sugar is converted to alcohol and the carbon dioxide by the power of yeast in the bottle. The, our product is, you know, the, the created by natural fermentation. Yeah. Okay. So how I then in terms of what that means in the brewery, what are you having? What do you have to do in order to create that secondary fermentation in the bottle? So I make steel sake up first mm-hmm. before second fermentation, and then I add the active yeast into the steel socket in the bottle and then a second fermentation is going to happen in the bottle yeah yeah I, I guess in terms of right so you're you're basically creating a scenario where you're making sure you have living yeast in that bottle 
so that yeah. it's doing that right are you doing that you said you add yeast again are you physically adding yeast into every individual bottle are you adding a bit of say fermentation mash into each individual bottle are you yeah, sort of what is what is that a, the, the batch that's the batch that's currently in first fermentation so like the, the still sake base that's currently brewing now he's taking some of that maromi and putting it into um for the second fermentation right and, and is that 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 goes into each individual bottle is that something that you then yes. bottle then yeah yes, yes. yeah that, that's a yes. that's a so, process so it's very like yes. uh can crafted <laughs> and very yeah laborious <laughs> yeah I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things that's funny because if you know sake well you appreciate the time effort etc when you look at the label and it says 50 percent koji rice you think oh wow like 50 percent that's a lot of time in that koji room and like you know your baby kojis are like growing and cultivating but to you know the everyday consumer it, it doesn't mean as much and yeah. so part of like what we think about is like, how do you find the balance between telling the story and, and really expressing the hand craftsmanship that like goes into this balanced yeah. with, you know, a reasonable level of understanding that you would have in the UK public, which is low on, on in terms of like how sake is made and sort of, yeah. you know, the, the laborious nature of it. But um, yeah, it's, it's very, it is literally very handcrafted um, by Nauki. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, that's why I was asking this. I think a lot of, uh, maybe a lot of folks don't appreciate, but making sake is hard enough. Making a sparkling sake is, especially a good sparkling sake is really hard. <laughs> like it's yeah. really hard. <laughs> it is. And I, I think like, you know, I mean, we can go back to the, the question uh, momentarily, but like uh, about how we started working together. But, you know, as Nalki was working on the prototypes, part of what, we were looking at in the, I don't know now how many prototypes are there, like 21 um, batches or something was like, what's the right level of effervescence or bubbliness and how to achieve that, right? Because that's really where, I mean, that is truly the technical switch of like, how do you get it to be bubbly enough and the bubbles to last? And, you know, that's been something that Nauki has been working on, you know, the whole life cycle of this product and something that we took on board a lot of feedback about, especially for the UK market, because UK market loves bubbles and it's a huge market for champagne, sparkling wine, Prosecco, et cetera. Um, that people expect like bubbles, you know, in a bit of a like rush of bubbles. And how do you get that through naturally sparkling sake, right? Cause it's easy to do that if we were to carbon inject it and make it like super bubbly and like, you know, but natural, naturally occurring sparkling sake is a slight, slightly more challenging um, animal. And then thinking about how those bubbles live in the glass, you know, once you've poured it. So um, it is not without significant, um, you know, challenge um, to, to the bubbles. Right. And the I, I said, there's, there's just, there's so many, I mean, it's part of the beauty though, too, I think, right? I mean, no, that's sort of what you were saying is, you know, that idea of impermanence, the fact that it isn't something that is, you know, it's, it's not sitting still. It's this, it's something that is very much in a living state and is evolving um, throughout the, 
not just the process of brewing, but once you put it in that bottle, it it can yeah. it lives in that state, you know. Um, it and so I'm wondering, does in your products or say from batch to batch, to what degree do you emphasize or focus on consistency from batch to batch? Yeah, I have a my own recipe for our product, of course. But we we adjust mm -hmm. approaches to make every batch because it affect it's affected with you know season or temperature and humidity. So for every batch I tweak or adjust less be or approach to keep the good quality of the product yeah you know when we when we talk about the product and even when we talk to you know restaurants or other people about the product there'll always be like a slight variation i mean it won't be dramatically different but like mm -hmm. you know for example like i think last year was it during the winter? It tasted a bit more peach, you know, like subtle, slight nuance. But um, Nalki has an interesting little graph spreadsheet that he turns into a graph, which shows some of the environmental factors and how that yes. interplays with like the umami or the bitterness or the acidity. Um, just, you know, because with the impermanence and the feeling of the seasons, you know, it does change the product ever so slightly. Again, you know, this is one of those great debates, I suppose, in sake, where like consistency is the hallmark of a great brewer, some may say. Then with our product, there's almost mm -hmm. a level of uh, overlay of impermanence. And so, you know, that is part of the ethos of the product and of our brewery. So, yeah. 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 Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. I'm curious then, the, for the two of you then, what, what makes a great sparkling sake? So in terms of sparkling sake, I mean, I don't think, you know, I've, I've tried as much as I, I, I certainly would like. I mean, some of the ones that I feel inspired by or, or do love are like Shichigen's um, product is quite good. You know, I think John mm -hmm. uh, Kegetsu is, is available quite widely in the UK. And I think, you know, it's sort of a, an interesting one it is very bubbly so if you want to have like the open the cork and feel like shh, uh type of experience you know that's that's interesting yeah. um you know for people to have but you know it's finding the right level between the acidity and i think the sweetness um in a, in a sparkling sake yeah do, do the both of you do you do you enjoy or regularly drink other sparkling effervescent beverages are you fans of sparkling wines and, and other things or is this a, no, I, a I mean that's unique you know having a, a French family you know champagne um is, is also you know a good part of a uh, family celebrations and um and uh life and again like in the UK I think you know I think the one thing that surprised me moving to the UK which doesn't happen as much in Japan and certainly doesn't really happen in the US that often is like people will just order champagne for like you know go to the bar I'm like oh what do you want to drink oh glass of champagne which when i moved to the uk like you know more than a decade ago i was a bit surprised that like people would just order champagne like for the fun of it whereas like in the us i feel like it was like special occasions or in japan like it's you know for celebrations and special occasions 
Um, you know, so I think it's part of our regular, regular drinking habits, but I mean, I, I love still sake. And so like, I generally will drink just a lot of, you know, still sake, um, in my day-to-day, day-to-day life, pairing with meals, experimenting, um, in moderation, of course. Yeah. Naturally, naturally. You know, yeah, I also like both of, you know, the steel sake and the sparkling sake. And I, of course, respect all of the sake brewers uh, who make sparkling sake, you know, even steel sake. As a sake drinker, I, when, when it comes to the sparkling sake, I enjoy the sparkling sake with the five, sense, five senses. Like an appearance and the aroma, mm. taste, and of course, and texture in the bubbles, and also sounds of bubbles as well. So, so yeah, so I, I like, um, you know, this is sake. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm curious how the response has been to sparkling sake or the sparkling sake that you've made. So now at this point, you say you really got started in earnest in 2020. How many batches or how many mm. releases have you so done at this we point? We did the first, it was sort of our pre-launch batch release was in now okay, June 2021. Is that right? And then we because 2020 was like RD year, right? So built Nalki mm. like built the burger with his own hands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was a little bit slower than we anticipated because of, um, COVID and all the restrictions Then he was building out the prototype. So we did like a lot of testing and tasting and then pre-launch was June, 2021. We did two batches then that was two batch launch. And then the official launch was October, 2021. And our brewing season ran from about October through to May, June, right? And then a batch, a batch launched every four weeks or so. So Nalki, do you yeah. know off the top of your head how many batches we launched? It's a stale, small batch. It's up to 100 bottles per batch. Okay. Yeah. It's barely limited. Okay. Yeah. A, a, sing, a single batch is about 100 bottles. Up to, yeah. It depends on the batch, but yeah. Yeah. Approximately. And those are, and you you bottle in what? It's what, 375 milliliters? Yes, half a bottle of a wine. Yeah. Okay, okay. So yeah, that is in that is indeed small batch. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So you've, I mean, at this point, then, I mean, it's st- it's still relatively new in in the market and out in the world. Um, yeah. What has sort of your approach been to bringing it out into the world, and how have you gone about delivering it to people, communicating it to people, and what's the response been like? Yeah, I mean, the response has been overwhelmingly fantastic. Um, I mean, Nalki's managed, we've managed to sell out every batch that we've produced, which is great. Um, you know, Nalki aims to, to make about up to a hundred bottles per batch. Um, you know, I think when we go out with the, the story of the sparkling sake, we look at, you know, one is like it's not just for Japanese food so like trying to introduce it as like a beverage right that you can pair with like a variety of of foods um something that is really at the crossroads of UK and 
the, and Japan and the focus on impermanence, right? Which is at the, the core of what we're, what we're doing. And I think we've managed to find real supporters in the communities of people who are at the crossroads of the UK and Japan. And those people who are really interested in either fermentation and seasonality, like so fermentation cultures got like kind of trendy in the UK, uh, you know, like Koji is sort of, I mean, trendy in like, you know, foodie circles and fermentation and, you know, I mean, seasonality, you know, has been a persistent trend over the, the past number of years. And so I think those are two of the, the groups which we've sort of gone after um, in terms of looking at marketing communications um, from a B to C perspective. So like direct to consumer. And then, you know, from a restaurant perspective, um, I mean, we don't have the production capacity to do like large large scale distribution, um, you know, across a wide network of, of restaurants or at least not just yet. Um, but we have looked at restaurants that do focus on, you know, seasonality and not necessarily Japanese restaurants because I think, you know, part of our mission like is also to help promote like sake as a beverage that can be enjoyed outside of like Japanese restaurant. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, Awa pairs nicely as, and I often say it's like Awa and, I don't think it's, it's not reasonable to think that anyone's going to have, you know, a full dinner with just Awa at every course mm -hmm. paired with every meal. Yeah. Right. So like, how yeah. do you think about Awa and, you know, a white, white wines that follow or Awa and other still sakes that follow and Awa and, um, so it's really a partner to your, your meal and your evening, as opposed to just a sort of standalone. And so that's sort of what we've been, um, what we've been focusing on. And when we, when we launched and in the first, I think first half, half a year, um, of launch, we were also running little education sessions. So like, um, you know, Zooms for people who bought it and giving like education on the background of our brewery, also the background of how we make um, Awa background to sake and culture. And then also like where people can learn more about sake in general and experience both like sparkling sake, ours and still sake um, across the UK, just as part of the mission to help grow sake. Cause we feel like if we can help, you know, if, if our product is popular and, you know, people are buying it and they can learn more about sake, like all boats rise, um, you know, for the, for the, the sake community. And that's only a very good thing. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. The batch size and your approach to doing it, it's, it, in a way it kind of adds that idea of impermanence because it's, you know, it's, it's kind of part of the experience, right? You put this thing out into the world that is, that is finite, you know, and then there will be another one that's going to be of equal quality, but it might be a little bit different. And is it going to come out? When is it going to be there? There's a little bit of a, a waiting game probably in there, a little bit of anticipation. So it kind of fits really, really nicely with, I, I think, you know, just sort of the philosophy and the approach to it. But at the same time, it's also, I imagine it's also a challenge because, you know, like you said, you can't with a hundred bottles or so in a batch, you know, depending on where you go to, you know, someplace might say, I just, I want all of them, Right. you know, or a hundred bottles could disappear. <laughs> Like right. that, you know, and, you know, you can get a you can get a private order for, you know, somebody wants to cater a party or a wedding or a corporate right. event. That's the batch. Yeah. Right? So on, yeah. Um, I think Which is kind of cool as well. Yeah, it is. Um, but then, you know, you don't want to you also don't want to disappoint uh, customers yeah. that 
you know, want batch, you know, we have repeat buyers that love batch after batch yeah. and like yeah. tasting the differences um, or slight differences between the batch. So, it, you know, longer term, Nalki is looking at like, you know, how can we up the production capacity? I mean, part of that is also space. Um, the current brewery is about 400 square feet. So it's not very big at all. Um, but, you know, I think once we develop fully the product, um, you know, it's it's a chance to grow and expand. Yeah. Where is the, is the brewery, is it close to home for the both of you or? Well, I'm based normally yeah, in London, friends. but um, Nelke's based in Cambridgeshire, like quite close okay. to the, quite close to the brewery. Yeah. Okay. 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 Very good. Is I the you, I guess for our listeners, uh, the name Awa kept coming up. Uh, the brewery is the sparkling sake brewery, but the name of the product or the label is Awa. Um, I guess for those who some of our listeners might have already picked up on it, Awa refers to effervescence or bubbles or the sparkling nature of that. Was that an easy name to settle on? Was that something that that just kind of popped up right away or what was sort of the, the process in, in coming up with that name? Yeah, I think it was an easy name to, to, to come up with. Cause I mean, the sparkling sake brewery does what it says on the tin. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. especially the initial launch, you know, like also, I mean, for non-Japanese speakers, anything more than two syllables, you know, becomes quite difficult to remember like some, sake brands like I know Ollie from Tengu Sake like will often give the products just English names because like it's very hard for people to like remember the name of like long multi-syllable um Japanese sake sake brands so you know Awa does what it says and I think you know from a design perspective the the kanji for Awa also had like the ability to make really nice beautiful rounded for forms and so if you look at the label you can kind of see that and we tried to link it to like bubbles and organic the organic nature of both the product but also the the bubbles um within within sparkling sake yeah very cool very cool very cool where's so kind of where's Naoki where are you at how are you feeling about making sparkling sake now at this at this point I imagine it's starting to get cold again you're probably getting pretty full-on back into I guess brewing season for for lack of a better word Yes, now yeah, we, we can do, we can make uh, our sparkling sake for season. Yeah. Okay. Are you are you brewing all year round or just in the winter time? Um. Now it's uh, just uh, in a warm time to our summer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So so you are in the middle of brewing or brewing season right now. And now yes yeah yeah middle of the okay. brewing season yeah. Okay. Okay. In the process of making sake for about the last year, um, is there anything in particular that you've noticed that you've changed or you feel like you've come to understand better in the process of making a sparkling sake? Yes, yes. So, you know, last year was our first season. I mean, yeah, that was the time I... Uh, made the uh, sparkling sake commercially. So I, I learned a lot of things uh, from the first season. 
cell, like in the season or in the temperature and the humidity and, and so on. So yeah, for the second season, yeah. I hope, yeah, I can make um, more, the, the you know, better product. Hope, yeah. And I think the, the, the one thing, I mean, you worked on quite a lot, Noki, was just the, the bubbles, right? Like, how do we increase the sort of effervescence or bubbliness of, of the sake? And so Nalki, I think, worked a lot on sort of refining that um, to also, as I said, fit the, you know, the market, a little bit of the market expectation around um, effervescence versus bubbles, but within a naturally sparkling sake context. You know, the other thing was, obviously, when we started out, like, we didn't have vintage, <laughs> like, we didn't have an age, like, we didn't, you know, like, again, this was a, exper you know, we had to then experiment, like, store some bottles and see, like, you know, in six months time, or at one year's time, like, how is the product? Like, is it still as great as it was like when it came off the, when it yeah. was, um, you know, yeah. just um, ready to go off the press or, or like, you know, yeah. when, what's the storage? And so like, I think we got to also understand the product better um, mm -hmm. and, you know, when mm -hmm. to best consume it, like how long can it stay? Like what are all Fresh the, off the press. constraints yeah. and um, variables around mm -hmm. it? You know, and I think we've got quite a good and actually stable product um you know which is really yeah. quite interesting um to see because we would do some tastings like here's a bottle we've had for six months or eight months here's one that's just fresh off the batch like let's you know drink them side by side and you know see um the difference so it's been an interesting learning it, learning experience because when you're working with something that doesn't have yeah. an age um you learn in the yeah Right, it doesn't have an age, and it's also constantly evolving in in some in some respects. Right, right. You yeah, you mentioned about yeah. expectations or market expectations. What was what did you feel was the expectation of a sparkling sake, and how did you feel like Awa either delivered on that or surprised people? Or, and then how did you take that feedback? Was that feedback something that you then took with you back into the brewery? Yeah, so like, I, I mean, I guess expectations around sparkling sake, I would say are, were almost like little to none in the marketplace, to be honest. Cause like, I mean, the thing is people don't generally know sake very well. Um, you know, and if they do, there's all the misconceptions, right? And with Baiju and like other, like all, all the traditional stereotypes mm -hmm. are there um and yeah. then sparkling sake people are like didn't know that sake could be sparkling so you know had further <laughs> no expectations you just thought like it's a strong al alcohol that sparkles how could that be um and so you know people are pretty surprised and i would say delighted you know we've, we've been lucky enough to run some you know like corporate events for example where you get a cross-section of people that like literally have no yeah. experience with sake and you serve it to them and they're like wow like blown away like by the story by the abv you know like oh it's only 12 percent like you know everything from like very functional facts about it to like the taste i mean in terms of expectation then when you say the word sparkling there is that yeah. image of you know bubbles and bubbles in your glass and if you think about champagne or you think about you know, some products that are carbon injected, like you do get like a vigorous bubble um, or you get the sound 
of like a champagne cork popping, right? Because that's like very synonymous, synonymous with sparkles and good times, um, especially in this country. So, you know, there was that expectation that when you say sparkling, like that people are expecting like some of that. And so mm. good, we can deliver on that. Um, and, you yeah. know, we continue to work yeah. on um, delivering to that. In yeah. terms of getting feedback, I mean, yeah. you know, we ask industry experts, you know, we give a lot, we give some bottles to people to kind of get feedback, um, you know, from, from the sake um, industry, but also just from consumers, you know, we do reach out, we ask for a continuous feedback loop, you know, having a direct B2C model means that, you know, we have relationships with our customers so we can seek feedback. Um, and so that's been a really important, um, you know, loop for us um, in terms of just ongoing product development. And I think because we're new and we're starting out in the market, you know, people are helpful and give their opinion. And, you know, I think want to see us succeed. And so we've been really blessed, um, to be honest, with with feedback um, from customers and from people across across the industry. And, you know, the restaurants that we've we've worked with as well have like given us, you know, honest feedback as to like they served it with, um, you know, clients or diners or they themselves like here's what I think could make it better here's what's working well here's how it pairs with food here's something to think about and so I mean we couldn't be more lucky than to have people who really want to share like their opinion with us um whether it's constructive or yeah. overwhelmingly positive yeah yeah very cool very cool very cool is this so is this something that you're both looking to grow? Do you have an image for what the sparkling sake brewery is or where it's available or sort of how this changes next year, three years from now, five years from now? Yeah, I mean, I think um like in the past year we did some partnerships with um, you know, not just distributing direct to consumer ourselves, we partnered with um this um company called Surakami who's um headed up by Robin Sola um here in the UK and so like he's an online sake business but you know we did some pre-sales with him to reach like a new customer base and it fits well with his ethos and sort of the brands he represents and so thinking about like how do we reach you know new customers just outside of our own own channels um also thinking about expanding you know working with restaurants but again like at a pace that's commensurate with how much we can provide and, and produce. Um, and the other thing is Nalki's now started to also um, produce Shio Koji um, for the restaurant trade. And so like, that's also okay. a great opportunity for us to like open the door for discussions about our Shio Koji, um, you know, for chefs, but also bring in sparkling sake. And Shio Koji is kind of has a moment in the UK, I think with, um, chefs and restaurants and you know I think top chefs really see the amazing the property the, Kogi, yeah. right yeah. um people are interested also in our sake kasu <laughs> so I think yeah. now he gets a yeah. lot of requests like for a sake sake kasu although we're not necessarily selling it like you know as a as a ongoing like big product I mean he can make some um sales of that and then now he's also worked with the there's a, um, a beer brewery next door to the sparkling sake brewery called Pastore. Uh -huh. and, Pastore, um, yeah. Pastore, yeah. And they, he's, um, they've done some beer brewing with sake kasu Ooh. as well. Um, and so they've got a really interesting product that is a bit 
Now, how can we say like a, a bit of a sour beer? Yeah, they produce wild ale. So, which is uh, wild beer is a beer fermented with the wild yeast. Mm -hmm. So it has, you know, lovely light acidity. So it's very yeah. It's I think a different type of uh, you know normal beer, but it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very. There's cool. that. And then the last thing which we just launched um, is uh, awa and fruits. So looking at local. I was going to ask you about this. Yes. <laughs> and like awa, awa times awa and berries. Um, so that's something that um, we just launched. Um, you know, and again, like just thinking beyond beyond boundaries and beyond like what we normally would do. How can we experiment but also integrate with like the local seasonality in the UK um, culture? So those berries were grown in the UK. Like Malky worked with the distributor um, and partnered on you know just seeing how we could make a sparkling sake product with fruit. <laughs> so yes. I think, you know, the next year or so, um, I think we'll continue to work on thinking about experimentation, you know, different channels or, or different product offerings, which stay true to our ethos and are either like mm, byproducts or closely associated with what we're doing at the brewery, because we also think about um, sustainability and how we use everything that we have and how we can also use all the facilities that we have to produce something. And then in the next three to five years, really focus on um, a growth plan in terms of, you know, how do we grow at scale, but maintain the quality and the craftsmanship that we have, right? Um, and then potentially, you know, look at some, you know, new markets. And I think, you know, Japan, I mean, markets that are also, I guess, close to home for us to some degree, like Japan and or you know, France, France is a huge market for sparkling, um, you know, and think about like, what's the next step to, to grow, to really grow our, grow the business. Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. It's, but I imagine I, I, I get the feeling also Naoki that maybe you kind of like brewing at the scale as well too. Do you, do you enjoy just sort of not just as a brewer, but just as sort of a livelihood and lifestyle being able to just engage with sake brewing in this way i, I don't know i maybe it's just me I, but i get the feeling you 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 enjoy this <laughs> yeah i'm very enjoy this yeah so actually we are you know obsessed with bringing the joy of a natural spike circuit to everyone regardless of where they are from whether or not they are already into japanese culture like sushi chef so <laughs> mm -hmm. so i'm happy with that yeah i think well Nalki, if i could speak on on your behalf i mean for Nalki, i mean it really is producing a work of art so i think for for for, for Nalki, he's really an artist of you know socket brewing and, and and does see it really through i think a very artistic and you know craftsmanship lens so it is really a labor of love. Um, and we think about each bottle really as nature's work of art because there is not, Nalki's hands are there to craft it, um, but it is very much a, a product of the way the microorganisms work with each other and like the overall beauty of um, nature and nature's harmony. 
very cool. I want to I want to ask you again about um, berries. So is this um, sparkling sake with berries in it? Is this the first time you've made this product? Yeah, the first time, yeah. Okay. And I'm I'm looking at the website. I feel bad for our listeners because according to this, it goes on sale tomorrow when we're speaking. When this episode goes out into the world, it will probably all be gone already. I, I apologize <laughs> to our listeners in advance. Um but um what made you what made you choose berries out of was it something tied to the region or just something you liked i mean there are a lot of fruits you know out there in the world what what made you was berries a pretty quick decision yeah so we decided to start this project which is called limited batch sweets uh, for this season so I was, I looked for fruits um, growing the UK. So yeah, at the time, yeah. So that actually the berries are the strawberry and the blackberry and raspberry. Um, they grow in the UK this summer. So yeah, it was good timing to use these berries for our first uh, batch of this series. So, yeah. And it, it doesn't replace, you know, the awa that everybody already loves. And so there will be like a, you know, cyclical batch release of berries and or other fruits coming um, intertwined with, with awa. Very cool. Very cool. Oh, that's super exciting. I'm excited for you guys to, to, to get that out into the world. That's fantastic. That's really, really great. Wow. All right. I'm, you know, I don't want to take up all too much of your time here. I've, I've, I've already done that a bit. Um, but I guess, yeah. And, you know, we sort of talked about, you know, your thoughts for the road ahead and, and things like that, but is there anything else in particular that you're, that you're really thinking about right now? Um, in relationship to the brewery or sparkling sake or any particular messages or things you'd like for our listeners to to take home with them? Um, I mean, just, you know, those people who are in the UK, like would love for them to try our products, like get in touch, talk to us. I mean, again, like we love feedback. We love meeting, you know, prospects, customers. Um, you know, if anybody has, restaurants that they love that are focused on seasonality. We also try to get outside of like just London in terms of like, you know, distribution, um, like definitely please get in touch. And if you know anybody who loves or you're a chef that loves working with Shiokoji or is interested in working with Shiokoji, um, you know, definitely um, get, in, get in touch with us. But, you know, I guess the message is just continue to drink sake and think about, um, you know, how it isn't just for Japanese food um, because I think that's that's really important in just making it part of, you know, the everyday um, culture. It's such an amazing beverage. Yeah. I really wish everybody has a glass and tries it at yeah. least once. Very cool. Very cool. And I love that you guys are doing Shiokoji as well. I said I, you, you mentioned it's kind of having a, a, a moment um, mm. in, in the UK. I'm, I'm really hoping it doesn't stop at a moment because it's the type of thing that I think that. Yeah you know, people would just appreciate having in the refrigerator, in their, you know, spice cabinet or whatever that 
that just becomes an everyday use. And it's such a great opportunity for, it is. Um, I don't know if education is the right word, but, you know, discovery, I guess, not just with regards to, you know, Shio Koji, the thing, but Koji and then approaches to cooking and flavor and, and then which kind of cycles around back around to sake as well. I think that's great that you guys are doing that. Yeah. And I, I was surprised I was in Wait Rose, like a, you know, local supermarket. And I saw on the shelf, they actually had like a shiokoji condiment, although it was yellow. Yeah. I did take a picture to yeah. milk and I was like, and it was liquid. And I was like, mm, it looks yeah. very different from, yeah. from our offering. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was interesting to see that they had gone and, and sort of white labeled their own shiokoji, which means that like, there's definitely a opening in the market space, um, even for consumers for shiokoji. Um, you know, and certainly if, if a big uh, supermarket chain in the UK is thinking of it, like they've obviously done a fair amount of research to understand the profitability in that segment. And so I think, um, yeah, Shiokoji would have a, a moment and then I think hopefully a long life um, in the in the market. Yeah, very cool, very cool, very cool. Excellent. Naoki, how about you, sir? What are you, what are you thinking about? Any, any, any final words for our, our listeners? Well, so we will continue pursuing our philosophy. So yeah, we hope, you know, the people can enjoy the fleeting moment of, uh, you know, beautiful nature or beautiful fermentation world through our product. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. And if people, if our listeners do want to reach out, if they do want to find Awasake, if they do want to find or, you know, are curious about where they can source or there are a restaurant where, how, what's the best way for um, people to get in touch with either of you? Yeah. Um, so Instagram, um, we're always on, you know, direct message us on um, Instagram. It's the Sparkling Sake Brewery. Find us pretty easily. Um, you know, you can also reach out um, via our website, um, which is the sparkling sake brewery.com. Um, and so those are two channels to, to get us on. Um, and we're pretty responsive. So um, we'd love to, we'd love to hear from everyone. Excellent. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, I'm very excited for both of you. I think this is a very, this is, this is uh, an exciting adventure that uh, that you're both on and it said you're you're kind of you're you're kind of you're you're carrying the torch for sparkling sake now you've 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 printed it on your on your on your name and on your website and your url is the sparkling sake brewery you you have uh you know you have a uh important uh role role i would say in in grand scheme of things so i'm excited to see what you what you all do in the in the coming months and years and i, I hope we can check in with you again here um and uh, and see and see where we're at a, a little ways down the road yeah and then certainly next time i'm back in the u.s and if we go on a uh, road trip i will pack a few bottles of uh in my suitcase to bring over um please do. you as well please so, do please do I check bag i try to put in some this this trip i didn't check any bags it was like a carry-on only trip but like when I check up, when I can check a bag, I always try to take some, some awa and we try to, you know, bring it around the world um, to get a few people tasting it. Yeah. So. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much um, to the both of you for making time. It was lovely chatting with you both. Um, and I look forward to following up again with you both here very soon. 
And so that will do it for one more episode of Sake on Air. If you have any questions for us, you can reach out to us at questions at sakeonair.com or get in touch with us uh, by searching for us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. The show is brought to you uh, with the fantastic support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association and more often than not, broadcast from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center located in the heart of Tokyo. We'll be back in just a couple of weeks with a brand new episode of Sake on Air. So please do stay tuned and come by. <laughs>